Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Well, good morning, everybody. How was your 4th of July? You guys have a good time? Yeah? Everyone have a good time. Fireworks were good. Everyone's still alive. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Well, for those of you who do not know, my name is Shiloh Pipping, and I am the On Point uh, Coordinator for our student ministry here at Valley Point. And if you don't know a lot about me, just a couple of months ago, I wasn't even living here. I was living um, in the suburbs of Chicago with what we called my freakishly large family. I'm one of seven kids, and so there was always a lot going on in our house. I think we even have a picture of my whole family, and I love them so, so much. You guys might know some of them, actually. My sister in the black, Bethany, has spoken here before, as has my father. So I love them very much, and about a month after this photo was taken, our family continued to grow, and yes, I am one of those aunts, so you get to see all the pictures. So the first one was my nephew, Carson, who is by far the cutest kid. I will, I will fight anybody for that, but 11 months later, um, a beautiful, precious little girl came into our lives, and that was my second oldest sister, her daughter, Elsie, and she is the most precious thing in our lives. And about four months ago, I got the news that my sister Bethany would be having her second son, which we're very excited about, and he's going to be getting here in October. And our family continues to grow and grow and grow. But four months ago, when I found out my sister would be having her second son, it was actually kind of bittersweet news because they told me first of everyone, I was very honored, but they told me first because I was moving because I was packing up all of my stuff to put in my tiny little two-door Toyota to drive all the way to a little town called Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. A lot of people were wondering why in the world I would leave my family and the life that I knew to move to a place where I only knew one family, and that was the Kohlers. And I told them that when I was interviewing, I had come here, it was in December, you guys had just opened this building. And I walked in those doors and I had the strangest feeling that I had come home. And I couldn't shake it. And the whole time I was visiting, the more people I met, I just felt like they were family already. And and that this place was going to be my home. And I don't know if you guys have felt that way. You've come into Valley Point, maybe in our new home here, or maybe when we were at the middle school, or maybe even back when we were meeting in what's now the office buildings. And you've said, this is my home, and these, these are my people. This is my family. And if you are visiting for the first time today, or maybe you're even watching on Facebook Live right now, and you haven't decided if you're going to come and check it out, I encourage you, come, sit down, get comfortable, get to know people here. This is your family, and this is your home, and you are welcome here. And that was enough for me. to move what felt like across the country, but it's actually just 12 hours away from everyone and everything that I knew and made this place my home. So I cannot thank you enough for how much you have loved me, Valley Point. You have made me a part of your family. You have been gracious with me. You have allowed me to pour into your kids and into your students. 
And I love our On Point team, and I love our ministry leaders who help every single week. And I'm so excited to see what God is going to do in that ministry as the years go on. So thank you so much for all that you have done to me and the family that you are to hundreds and hundreds of people. Well, when the teaching team came to me and they asked me to teach um, in our series of nine flavors about the fruit of the spirit, I was really, really excited and then extremely humbled because I realized there are people in here who have much more profound things to say than I do. They have much deeper wisdom when it comes to scripture than I do. But this morning, I get to come to you speaking out of the confidence of the word of God. And this is what's going to be preaching this morning. And this is what will stand and last the test of time. So I pray that you will come with me this morning as we dive into the word of God. But before we do that, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And God, we pray that we have open hearts and open hands to everything that you are going to teach us about the fruit of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that you start with me but I pray that you will convict us, that you will heal us and that you will change us so that when we walk out of these doors, we are challenged to be different. That when we look in the word of God, we do not walk away from it and forget what it says, but we walk away changed and challenged to be more like you and to reflect you in every place that we go, in every relationship that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the last three weeks, we have been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The last two weeks specifically, we talked about love. We talked about joy. Today, we get to talk about peace. So growing up as a pastor's kid, I had to memorize a song um, to help me memorize all of the fruits of the Spirit. And I know Pastor Eric has encouraged all of us and challenged us to memorize the verse. So if you are really struggling, find me afterwards. I'll teach you the song. It's a lifesaver, okay? But anytime I heard the word peace or growing up, I mean, you hear lots of sermons about peace and the fruit of the spirit and all of that. And I always thought it was in an inner peace, a peace that you have when you trust Jesus and you give him all your burdens. But as I've been studying this text, I've realized that it's not an inner peace. It's a peace that we have between one another. It's a peace that we live out between brothers and sisters in Christ. So for us to fully understand this text, I want us to go to a parallel passage in the book of Romans. And Romans is also a letter that's written by Paul, just like Galatians was. And it was written to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome was compiled largely of two kinds of Christians. Those who had left living a Jewish life to follow Jesus as their Messiah, and those who had left living a pagan life to follow Jesus as the one true and only God. But the problem is... These two people came from very different backgrounds. And so when they're trying to live out their faith, it looks completely different. And so there's a lot of unrest and there's a lot of broken peace in the church. And this is where Paul is going to come in the text that we're looking at today. And he's going to step into this and he's going to say, okay, this needs to stop because there needs to be peace. And what he's going to unpack is a big idea that I have for us today. And it's this. The peace that we have is worth protecting. 
the peace that we have is worth protecting. I encourage you, write this down in your notes because it is something we need to live by as Christians. If we are going to show the world what peace looks like and our world needs it more than ever now, we need to learn how to live in peace with each other. So the peace that we have, it's worth protecting. So in this passage, we're going to jump into, go ahead and get into your Bibles or on your device, Romans 14. There's a very specific issue that is causing unrest in the church. But before we get there, let me explain it to you a little bit because it's not something that we deal with in our culture. So the church was fighting over whether Christians were allowed to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Like I said, we, we don't have that problem here, okay? So this is what was going on. So in the culture in Rome, if you were celebrating something, maybe an anniversary of the birth of a child, you would get a sacrifice. You would take it to the temple of one of your gods, and you would sacrifice it there and worship the idol. And then you would go outside to what was called the table of the gods. And there is kind of where you would set up the party. And a portion of the meat that had just been sacrificed would be brought to the table of the gods where you could eat it and enjoy it with the guests that you had. Well, here is where the Christians were entering in. They wouldn't go and worship in the temple, but they would come and they would eat this meat that had been sacrificed to an idol and celebrate with their friends who didn't know the Lord. Well, this was the problem because this table of the gods, it's kind of like a sidewalk cafe just outside the temple that was highly visible to the community. So let's say a Christian's walking by and they see somebody inside, they recognize them. It's, it's John. John, you know, we go to church together and why, why is he eating there? That's not, that's not okay. And, and maybe the person walking by, they used to worship at that temple. And now they're wondering, well, if it's okay to eat the meat and still be a Christian, what other things can I do from that religion and still be a Christian? Or maybe it's, it's a Jewish believer and they're walking by and they see the meat that they're eating and they go, hey, that's unclean. We, we, can, we can't eat that. And so now they're starting to isolate themselves from that person, and it's breaking all kinds of peace in the church. And that is where we step in to today. So before we go any further, let's get into the scripture. So it says this in Romans 14, starting in verse 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by eating, destroy someone from whom Christ died. So to start off with, Paul is giving us, he's going to give us three filters to figure out these issues. Because he starts with saying, well, some people can eat this meat and other people can't eat this meat. And it almost sounds like he's contradicting himself, but he's not. He's saying something that those of us who have been following Uh, Jesus for a long time, understand. See, there are certain things in scripture that are black and white. This is okay to do, and this is sinful, and you should avoid it. But then there are those marginal issues, those gray areas, and that's what this is falling into. Eating meat sacrificed to idols is falling into that gray area, and it's, it's okay for some, and it's not okay for other, because it's based on conscience. But what might some gray areas in uh, today be for the church? Maybe it's, can Christians drink alcohol? Maybe it's, hey, what movies are okay for Christians to go and see? What TV shows are acceptable for us to view? Or maybe, dare I say it, politics. Who should we vote for? Who should we not vote for? Should we vote at all? 
All of these are gray areas that we need to figure out what scripture says and where our own conscience falls on it. So Paul is going to give us three filters, and these aren't going to be in your notes, but I encourage you, these are very helpful. Go ahead and jot them down, maybe in the margin or somewhere on your notes. The three filters that Paul gives us, the first one comes out of the first part of the verse in 14, and it says that, that Paul says, there is nothing that is unclean according to the Lord Jesus, and he's not just saying everything's fine. In this, he's specifically talking about meat. And there is a a passage in the book of Acts where Peter has a vision and Jesus says, hey, all meats are now clean because God has made them and they are clean. And so he's saying, hey, the Bible doesn't have anything wrong to say about this. And that's the first filter we need to look through to see these gray areas. The first thing is, does the Bible allow it? If the Bible allows it, great. We're going to move on to the next filter. If it doesn't, stop. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not do that activity or that issue. Stay away from it. But if the Bible allows it or if the Bible is unclear, then it passes through the first filter and it goes to the second filter. And the second one is this. Does our conscience allow us to do it? Does our conscience allow us? And I want to be very clear. Our conscience is not our feelings. It's not, but I want to do this, or I want this to be okay because then I don't have to be different than everyone else. Our conscience is based in the Holy Spirit. And as each and every single one of us is growing in our faith, he is, con- uh, he is having us grow in different ways. And the Holy Spirit will have something in your heart, and it will convict you if this is wrong for you or if it's okay for you. So you need to be listening to the Holy Spirit and his conviction in your life. So again, if you get to that second filter, does conscience allow it? If you're being convicted, then don't do it because the Holy Spirit is trying to save you from something that could bring you into sin. But if your conviction is not there, if the Holy Spirit is allowing you to do it, there's one last filter that we have to look through. Will this hurt the people around me? The Bible might have nothing bad to say about it or is a little unclear and your conscience may allow you to do it. But if it hurts those around you, if it hurts the way they see you, if it hurts the way they see God, if it hurts the way they see the church, then we need to abstain from it. And this leads us into our first thinking point for today. And it's this. We need to put the spiritual future of others first. The Roman church had started labeling Christians as weak Christians or strong Christians. And growing up, I would hear this, and I never fully understood it. Did it mean someone was more saved than someone else, or did it mean that that somebody was holier than another person? But I found a great definition for us in the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, and it says this. The strong are those who have an accurate understanding of God and his kingdom and are able to actualize their Christian freedom without a conflict in conscience. The weak are those who lack clarity and are unsure of how they're supposed to use their freedom in Christ. So to summarize it, the strong Christians act in confidence. They know what the Bible says. They know their convictions. Where the weak Christians, they don't know what the Bible says and or they don't know where their convictions lie. Well, I believe as I've been growing, you can go in and out of being spiritually weak and spiritually strong, especially on different topics. There are certain things that I'm strong about. I know what the Bible says about this specific thing, but there are other things that I'm still learning about 
or there's new gray areas that are coming up that I'm, I'm having to test my conscience on and test scripture on. So whether you are weak or strong in a category, we need to think about other people because weakness may come from age. Maybe there's an activity you want to do, but the person that's around you or is going to see you, they're not of the right age that they may be pulled into sin because they see the activity you're doing. They're not old enough to understand it. Or maybe it's because of something in their past. Maybe you are going to have an alcoholic beverage and you're around somebody who's had an addiction to that and and a hard past with that. And you doing this in front of them may cause them to stumble and to fall into sin. So we need to be aware of who's around us and we need to put their spiritual future before anything else. So that is our first point today. But with those who are either very weak or strong in their faith, we cannot let them whitewash every topic and try to force their convictions onto other people. Paul goes on to talk about this very thing in the next verse. If we go down to verse 16, it says this, Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. When it comes to the the things that the Bible isn't so clear about, but our convictions hold us to, do not let someone make you feel guilty for doing something with a clear conscience and for the right reasons. This is something that sometimes Christians can do a really good job of, is forcing their opinion onto somebody else. But this is our next thinking point. We cannot allow the spiritual preferences of others to define the issue. The Lord has given each of us the Holy Spirit to help us learn what our boundaries are. We cannot live in a world full of legalistic rules. What I love is what Paul says in the scripture in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of the gray areas on what someone does and how you do it differently. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If that is our focus, if that is our goal in everything we do, it says that we will be approved by God and by man. Growing up as a pastor's kid, a lot of times um, we would have good people in our church who would try to tell us kind of how we should live our lives and kind of force their convictions on me and my family as the pastor's kids. But I remember one specific time that this happened where uh, a gentleman at our church had come to my father and was very upset because they had found out that my sister had a poster of a certain pop artist up in her room. And he thought it was outrageous that my father would allow my sister to listen to such music or to have that kind of a poster in her bedroom. And This was not the right place for this to happen, especially since it happened at church. But this man had his own convictions. For him, I guess it was wrong to listen to that artist and for his family. But my father, I was looking into what scripture said. And then he was following his own convictions. And that was how he was leading our family. He was doing the best of his abilities to lead us in a way that would make us godly men and women as we grew older. So that man had no right to push his convictions on my father. And my dad didn't allow it to define the issue. 
my sister was still allowed to listen to this artist. But my dad did something that at first I was very upset about. And I didn't understand until much later. My dad made my sister take down the poster. And I thought my dad was giving in. I thought my dad was being weak. But I realized something later on. My dad realized that the peace that he had between this person and himself, it was more important than a poster. The peace that he had with this other person, it was worth protecting. And so my dad lived out what scripture tells us in this next passage on how sometimes we need to swallow our own opinion to keep the peace. Let's jump down to verse 22. It says this, So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. The next point that I have for us this morning is that we need to keep our personal opinion on marginal issues private. In a world of social media, this seems almost impossible. But God and Paul through this scripture is telling us that sometimes, even though we all have opinions, we all have things that we say, no, this is right and this is wrong. But we need to remember that those are opinions. Unless the Bible clearly states it and it's a black and white issue, if it falls into the marginal, if it falls into the gray areas, it is an opinion of conscience. And we need to remember that and we need to hold ours back. Yes, there are times that we can discuss this but it's almost never on social media. It's almost never over texting. It's always face-to-face with another person. But maybe holding your opinion looks like if you realize that someone of a political stance that's different than yours is around, you're just not going to bring up the topic. Or maybe it's you um, and your family. You've decided we're going to raise our children in this way. These are things we're going to be okay with. These are things we're not going to be okay with. And then you see that maybe someone in your family or a friend or a random person on Facebook does it a little differently. It looks like we're going to hold our tongue. And we're not going to gossip about that other person and say, I can't believe they allowed their child to go there or wear that or do this. I would never. We're not going to talk about people and the way that they're raising their children just because it's different than ours. And there are so many other ways that you can see this, but I want to encourage us. If we are going to keep the peace, it means that we need to keep our personal opinions on marginal issues private. There's one last point that Paul has for us in the text. We're going to go to verse 23 for this. He says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. The last point Paul has for us is this. When in doubt, don't. If you're not sure what the scripture has to say about it, if you're not sure what your own convictions are, if you're not sure how it's going to affect the people around you, then abstain. It's better for you to not do something than to have someone stumble because of it or to fall into sin yourself. So when in doubt, don't. I just want to take a minute, and I want to grab the attention of all of the students in this room. So if you're sitting next to one, give them a little elbow, make sure they're still awake, make sure they're not staring at their phone, that their eyes are up here. Students, you are at a stage in your life 
where you are given a little bit more freedom, okay? And eventually, as you grow up and you go and you move from middle school to high school, high school to college, you have to start making your own boundaries. You have to start hearing your own conscience. And it's probably going to sound like your mom and dad. And that's okay because mine still does. So I want to give you three tiny points of wisdom that are going to make you growing up and making your own boundaries so much easier. Okay? So again, jot these down somewhere. Hold on to these because they're going to be so useful. Okay? First thing, you need to read the Bible for yourself. You in this stage in your life have to make your faith your own. Yes, growing up as a pastor's kid and to this day, I will run to my dad and I will ask him questions about the Bible that I don't fully understand. And that is amazing. Use your parents in that way. But you yourself need to get into the word of God daily. You need to figure out what are the black and white things that the Bible is clearly talking about. Because right now is the time you need to learn that and learn the boundaries and the guardrails of our faith. So you need to get into the Bible for yourself. Secondly, you need to find a spiritual mentor. Maybe, maybe that's your mom and dad. That's awesome. Maybe it is a, a, a parent's or a friend of a parent or a, parent, a friend's parent. There we go. A friend's parent. Or, or maybe it's somebody in the next stage of life. I encourage you, a spiritual mentor is not the person in the grade above you, okay? That's not how that works. It needs to be someone in the next, in the next generation, the next level up from you, okay? So you need to find somebody who's going to pour into you, somebody who's going to love on you, who is probably going to tell you things you don't want to hear at times because you are not always right, okay? So you need to find that person. And if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't have that person, or I really don't want that person to be my parent. You know what? We have On Point, and I would encourage you to come out to it. We have leaders there that will love on you, that will help guide you, that will mentor you. Come and check it out sometime, because finding a spiritual mentor is so important. Because once you learn from Scripture what those black and white things, you're going to come into the gray areas, and you're going to need someone to help you figure that out when you're first getting through. So find a spiritual mentor. And the last thing, and this is the most important thing, and parents, you can lean in because this is important for you too, okay? You need to figure out what your boundaries are and then stand by them. You need to figure out what you are okay with or what your parents have told you not to do because going back to what the Bible says, we have to obey our parents. So if we're going to go to that first filter, we have to obey what our parents have said. But we need to filter through it. We need to stand by what we know is right and what we know is wrong for ourselves. And we need to not budge. And there are going to be times when your friends are like, but come on. I mean, that's so, like, seriously, it's not a big deal to to go to this place, wear that, watch this, listen to that, hang out with these people. It's not a big deal. And you need to stand, you need to say, actually, it's it's a really big deal because I'm not okay with this, and I'm going to follow what Scripture says. And that might mean your friends make fun of you. Or maybe they won't invite you to something. Or maybe they won't be your friend anymore. And that is difficult. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying it's more important for you to stand your ground. And on the flip side, if you have a friend who is standing up for their conscience, you need to stand with them. You need to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to push you. If you're not okay with this, that's okay. We'll do something else or I'll go do it with somebody else. That's okay. Because if you stand with your friend when they stand up for their own conscience, when you start standing up for yours, 
they're going to stand with you. And you need to have more friends like that. So firstly, read your Bible. Secondly, find a spiritual mentor. Thirdly, stand up for your convictions and respect your friends when they do the same. So that is my little freebie for all of the students. Hold on to that. It will be so, so helpful. Now, coming back to everybody, I just have two takeaways for us this morning really quick. The first one, if we want to keep the peace, the first thing we need to do, we need to go make peace. Maybe you've broken peace with somebody over some marginal issue or a Facebook comment or something that you disagreed with, and now there's a peace that's been broken. I know for me personally, as I was preparing for this, I realized that I had broken peace with somebody And it was going to be really awkward to stand up here and talk about it when I didn't have peace. So I had to go and I had to make peace. And I had to own what I did. And they had to own what they did. And when we did that, we could make peace once again. And it felt so good. So I want to encourage you, whoever it is, you know who it is because they've been in your mind this whole time. You need to go make peace with that brother and sister in Christ. Because the Lord commands us to do it. Secondly, it may sound repetitive, but we need to protect the peace. We need to do everything that we can to make sure that the peace that we have in our homes is protected, with our friends is protected, at Valley Point is protected. This morning, I've given you four points on how to do that. And if you can live those out, then I think we can protect the peace. There's one last verse I want to read us this morning coming out of this passage, and it does an amazing job of summarizing it. And it's verse 19. It says this, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace. The peace that we have in our homes is worth protecting. The peace we have with our friends is worth protecting. And the peace that we have here at Valley Point, it's worth protecting. But now it's up to us to go out there and to protect it with everything that we have. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word and what Paul has taught us about peace. God, I pray that you will give us strength this morning to walk out of here, to go and make peace, and then to protect it with everything that we have. Heavenly Father, you are good, and you are holy, and I pray that you will give us the courage to make peace, God. God, we love you, and we surrender to you this morning. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.